Welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. I'm Adrian Torres, your host, and this is the podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. Now, when we say that, I, I always have to be specific because we're not talking about, you know, the made up 17 or 42 year anniversaries. No, no, no. We're sticking hard and fast with those giant milestones, the 10, the 20, the 30 and the 40. And that's because if you look at basically any point in history, there is a horror movie that's out there that deserves to be celebrated. Sometimes it's going to be the big hits, you know, sometimes it's going to be the small film, but every film deserves to be championed. And when you hit those milestones is when everybody either on social media or in your friends groups, they go, oh, hey, it's been X amount of years since this movie came out. Let's take another look at it and let's see, you know, what it is that makes it special. And is it still a film that we hold in that high regard? Now, the last episode that we just had come out, of course, was on Stephen King. And here we are with another episode that's on Stephen King. It's almost like this year he's got a film in almost every decade that is celebrating an anniversary. And yet it's just within the last couple of years that everybody goes, oh, my gosh, we're having a Stephen King renaissance. And I, I think it's just something that happens every 10 years or so or, or, or somewhere around there that it, it's in a cyclical cycle. But Stephen King is always there. It's either because he's written something new or there's a, a studio that's like, hey, we've got the money to finally tackle this. Or they decide that because there's an anniversary, it's a good idea to re remake something and readapt it. but. This week's a little bit different because while it is Stephen King that we're talking about, it's a collaboration. It's an anthology. It's Creepshow. Now, if you're somebody who hasn't seen Creepshow, go, just go watch Creepshow. The, the, the wonderful thing about Creepshow currently right now is you can actually go onto Canopy, which is a streaming website that's out there that all you need is a library card to be able to sign up for it. And Creepshow happens to be on there. I, I, that's how wonderful it is, is that you have libraries are supporting the fact that you should go and watch Creepshow. That, that, that's all I'm going to say. But I think when we're starting to talk about Creepshow. OK, it was Stephen King. I got, you know, excited talking about it, but I'm even more excited for our guest that we have today. This is a returning guest, of course. And like I said, we're doing another Stephen King because we did Stephen King last week. And this is somebody who last time they were on, they were talking about George Romero as well. She is one of my favorite people out there. And I'll let you know all the wonderful places where you can find her work, of course, in just a minute. But I, I just know her as somebody who's very close to my heart. So please, a big horrorversary welcome to Dee Dee Crimmins. How are you doing, Dee Dee? Oh, you're so sweet. I'm fine, Adrian. I'm happy to be talking to you. And funny enough, I have been talking about George Romero since we last recorded, like literally not. That, that's how it should be. I think day. I think George Romero should be talked about at least be. every single day. Yeah, and I do without fail. I'm fine so with it. You're just I, I'll take that. I'll here. take that. If it's George Romero, I will take his <laughs> sloppy sevenths or eighths. I'm OK with that. Got no problem. Plenty, the diary of the dead. Let's go for it. From. Let's go for it. No, oh, it's okay. No. We've. Oh no, we could actually. I would like. Yeah, I, we we have. That. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it's it, it's documented <laughs> on the show. Yes. We we talked about it because somebody was like, you know what, George Romero, let's talk it. And I was like, yeah, that's let's let's see what what happens. I mean, it's he 
He's George Romero. What more can you say? But we're talking about you before we jump into George Romero. And of course, like I said, there's many different places that people can find your work out there. So let people know a couple of those places. Sure. Yeah. Right now, um, I am scaled back some of my writing for and working in other projects. But um, right now, I'm still with Roomorg Magazine, both online as well as the print version. And I, uh, (laughs) thatshelf.com, which is a Canadian kind of genre, good nerdy site. Um, I've written up for Polygon over the past year, which is exciting. Um, Yeah, yeah. I wrote about George Romero's amusement park (laughs) to the surprise of no one for Polygon. Um, And I have many thoughts that people disagree with. I think I'm one of the one or two negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for that, and I will defend it. but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when, I'm when it came I'm to the amusement park, there were two people whose opinions that I cared about seeing on it, and it was yours and Anya Stanley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're I, the only I, I mean, it's yeah. When it comes to George Romero, you're the people that I'm going to, you know, <laughs> see what they have to say about it. You know, that's very, very high esteem. But yeah, I mean, you're you're somebody when it yeah. comes to George Romero that, you know, I, I know that you've. Like you said, you spent a long time. So, of course, I think at some point we'll see that come to fruition. Potentially. I don't know if I can talk about that. yet. That, that's here, all that matters. Just the, the little the little tease is is yeah. is enough. So. <laughs> yeah, the fact that when you told me that recently off mic, I was like, oh, it's probably Romero related. I'm that that's going to be my guess there <laughs> now. if you're somebody who i I mentioned it every episode but you never know when you're going to have you know new listeners or maybe somebody takes a break you're like this show's taken a break in the past and we come back and you want to make sure that everybody always knows every episode what the format is and that i like to be a very relaxed person as you'll find out at the very end of the episode when it comes to telling people you know the social media handles you notice that both of mine are probably the easiest things that that you could choose and like that's part of the reason why this show has a name that it did it just worked well in my mind and it had stuff available so we like to keep things low-key and relaxed and part of that is that every single guest who comes on the show is asked the same five questions and that's because they kind of start the ball rolling when it comes to certain discussions of the topics when we're looking at these films so each question is a starting point. And then there might be some questions, but we start with those main five and we start at the same place every single time because it's a good litmus test and a good idea to find out the origins and, and why somebody chose movie. And so Didi, we have to ask, do you remember the first time that you saw creep show? I do. And I'm so proud of myself for finally having answered <laughs> one, of your t- one of the times you've asked this. I don't remember the year specifically, but it was one of the Coolidge Corner Theater, which is in Boston. Um, their horror marathons they do around Halloween every year. It's usually all 35 millimeter. And um, one year it was this. And this was like, oh, man, this has got to be like 2007, somewhere around there. Um, and it was just, you know, one of those like, there's this midnight to noon. And that's a 12 hour marathon. So it's probably like 4 a.m. or something. It's like, okay, it's go time. Like, and I had already heard, always heard about it. And I just had never seen it because I don't know, it just wasn't, it was on my radar, but it didn't seem Mm -hmm. urgent to see it at the time. But yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is kind of the (laughs) perfect way to see this with like a bunch of like ghouls in the dark and we're all slightly deranged. And it's the diehard. Was it a film that, that grabbed you from the very first time you saw it? Or was it something that like, you saw it and you're like, I need to give this film another chance in the future. 
I think I really appreciated it initially because it came right at the point where I was like, it's too serious. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep. And it's just like, it's, it's a weird, light, little, funny kind mm-hmm. of punchline driven horror movie or horror anthology, I should say. Um, and yeah, I love a horror anthology. I think a lot of times horror and especially comedy, they both exist in brevity. And I think that they both get to kind of shine here, but there's like definitely some darkness in there. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of, it came at the perfect time when I was like, I don't want anything too serious. Let's have some fun with this. And that was exactly what <laughs> now, it was. Now, of course, when looking at a film that's been out for a long time, you, you get deep in the weeds when it comes to discussion. Now, of course, this movie comes out initially in 1982. And not only did it come out in 1982, it was a film that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. And then it actually comes out in November of 1982 it's a it's a film that at the time had a a smallish to decent sized budget for 1982 and eight million dollars it ends up grossing 21 million dollars so it's it's definitely you know a success making back that much money now like i said to talk about this movie we have to go knee deep in the weeds we really have to get into it and this is a movie that has five sections so You really have to know the film if you want to talk about it. And the reason why I say that is the next question that's coming up, we're going to ask Didi, and then there's going to be a pause that we're going to have because we're going to get into spoiler territory. It's the only way you can discuss this film or any of these films. Again, this is a movie that's 40 years old. Depending upon your age, maybe there's a chance that you haven't had uh, the ability to see it yet. So once we say so, pause the recording and then go and watch the the show either buy the screen factory blu-ray or like i said go on to canopy because it's free get yourself a library card because libraries are wonderful yada 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 but the question that we have to ask the second and i i always have to sometimes reword it or make sure that i'm saying it as carefully as possible so we don't fully get into spoilers but in as few words as possible what's your synopsis for creep show Oh, um, it, oh, I guess I don't know if I'm going to run with the assumption that people know what EC <laughs> Comics are. They, I, yeah. Um, <laughs> just like, they should know. I'm like, okay, not everyone is as nerdy about horror, you know, history slash contemporary stuff, depending on how old you are. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, it's a horror anthology with cartoonish, um, segments throughout and some surprisingly recognizable <laughs> actors. And of course, most importantly, it's directed by George Romero and completely written by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are you know, trifling details. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, there's that too, which is kind of the reason yeah, for this. I, I mean, but, yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. It's like like I said before, it's five stories that they have that are that are interwoven. And I think the thing that everybody forgets about anthologies is that there's lots of times when you tell somebody, hey, this is an anthology, they kind of tense up a little bit and they they get worried because, of course, you know, if you got five or some of them have eight, it depends. But everybody's always. I might have 20. Yeah, that's true. But when you get to that, everybody's worried about, oh, what if what if there's only one story that I like? What if there's only, you know, two? And I, I think anytime you go into those, you if it's something like five, you expect as long as you can come out with the two that you really, really like that you think are great and two that you think are okay, th- then, then it's good overall. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, there is a whole thing where you say like horror anthology and people who like, I don't know, there's just this weird, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. And it's just like, no, lot, some of my favorite horror films are horror anthologies. Sometimes they're fascinating. And even if you don't like every entry, it's just like, we'll just sit there for 10 minutes, you'll get a new one. That doesn't happen with a feature film. You have to either sit through the whole thing or give up on it and consider yourself a quitter, <laughs> which is fine. But um, yeah, there's like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I do understand the hesitation. I think that anthologies that have the same writer and director yes. throughout kind of hit different because it's a little it's ever so slightly more like there's not as much of a tonal shift there and i do think that's a little jarring when mm -hmm. it comes to them, like the vhs series like for me it's just like oh, okay this is you know weird honeymoon is there another person there and it's like oh my god this guy's skin is ripped off so it's just like that's a little bit jarring for me though i do appreciate the format but for this it's like it's all the same writer or director it's all adaptate you know ersatz adaptations of you know fake <laughs> comic books that weren't actually comic books so yeah like it's just like it's consistently playful and if you don't really like one of the characters like they're probably gonna die very very true minutes. okay now this is the point that we're gonna pause right here if you have not seen the film okay i literally let it go three seconds so you 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 have a chance to either pause it yourself or yell at google or alexa or siri whatever you have so there's no excuse we gave you a chance and that's why i rambled on for a second here so that you can still pause but now we're going to get into the weeds and, and this is a sub question that i wanted to ask right away yes i i did make sure to to make that pun several different times because of of, of jordy when we get to him uh but I wanted to start off because we were just talking about, you know, that that there's five stories to it and not everything's going to match yes. for everybody. So for you, what is your favorite segment? Just for, stop for one second and say that it cracks me up that I was just like, yeah, everyone's going to die. And you're like, OK, the spoilers <laughs> are coming after this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just sitting here trying not to laugh too hard. Um, I think my favorite segment is father's day there, there's nothing wrong with that it's a classic no it's a classic it has everything you want um well everything i want not everything i want no kind of zombies kind yeah of you've are, got actually. you've um, got ed harris dancing kind of zombies ed harris dancing and th that dance is just okay okay I, th then i have to go um, on a tangent before we get you to 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 answer the yes, rest of this please. because it's for horror aficionados out there, there is one question that stood the, the test of time, especially when it comes to the, the early to mid 80s. Ed Harris's dance or Crispin Glover's dance? Of course, if, if you if you're not familiar out there, of course, we're talking about Crispin Glover's dance from Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. I don't know. I was just actually having a conversation with a friend earlier today who had just seen Fresh, and I was like, there are very few things that make me as happy as a dance <laughs> sequence. In a I, I was at a film festival recently where they were sc screening the 30th anniversary of uh, Sleepwalkers, and the majority of the audience mm -hmm. had never seen it before, but everybody was excited and then and clapped with, uh, with glee after, um, oh God, what's her, now I can't pronounce her name. Uh, Magkin, Mad, Mad, Madkin, Amic, from sure from from sure. Twin Peaks and 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 Riverdale. She's got her her dance that yes. she does at the beginning, which is it's a solid dance. But I, I I still think that that these two are are up there. So if you want to plead the fifth, that's okay too. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I liked I do like the Ed Harris Father's Day dance because I feel like that coupled with like the late seventies mm-hmm. fashion just hits very specific, like there's a lot of gold like and i appreciate that i like you know i like little plumage with my and it's ed hair so you, you can't go wrong but i think father's day is just wonderful in in general I, I think everybody has their favorite section but there's something about the film opening up with father's day that sticks out in everybody's mind yeah it's just it really does like with the you know the dead great great grandfather because it's the great aunt's father I don't, i'm not gonna figure that out i'm not that as good as um family trees as i should as i could be i should say um but yeah like him like being like where's my cake and like i don't know just like an old lady drinking on yeah. a grave <laughs> like it's just it's just like it just and i love I don't know. I think, like I said earlier, like I do think anthologies work quite well for horror just because a lot of horror exists in brevity. You don't want to overexplain anything because then maybe it's not scary or maybe it gets scarier depending on how it's handled. But this really is such a good example of how anthologies can really mm-hmm. use shorthand to get across exactly who it is. Like a bunch of rich white people in an old estate, like, boom, we know everything. Like one of the guys like is just talking <laughs> shit about the other one. Like it just we don't need to know their whole lives. We don't need to know anything beyond, you know, the little bit of plot that we're given in exposition as to why this like great aunt is showing up and going to go drink on a grave. Like I appreciate that. And it's just, I do think that it, I don't know. It's almost as if Stephen King's (laughs) written something before, but like, but like he seems to know how to work with Mm. the medium that he's given. And I think that that is a really it's something that shouldn't be overlooked because that's not an accident. Like this is very systematic and calculated. Oh, and yeah. And I think every, every piece from it, like, like you mentioned the fashion or the, the way the, the sets are designed, like the, the little graveyard, you know, that she's drinking in and everything. And then the design of, of the, the corpse when it's coming up that there, there's a whole, like mm-hmm. visually for how short the section is and the whole, the film as a whole just is is beautifully done um when i was re-watching it recently one of the things that really stood out is how much this film benefits from having you know the the restoration and the transfer because of Mm -hmm. just all the colors that it has on display and how those colors create a mood and a vibe throughout it that it it really makes everything pop and and come alive compared to if this had was stretched out you know to an entire feature yeah absolutely and like to that point like this is again very aware of the fact that it's pretending to be like a you know kind of you know schlocky camp comic book adaptation like the acting's all a little over the top as the dancing is as well like and in all the different parts like it is kind of reveling and having a lot of fun with it and mm-hmm. you know going big because it's not going to go long like we're not going to have to sustain these awful people or this you know really campy <laughs> mood for that long it's going to kind of come and go so it's like, like there's no risk of overdosing on, or I guess there might be for some people, but for me at least, it's just like, oh, that was great. I like, think the only overdosing you'd have is is if you look at the the frosting on that cake for too long. <laughs> okay, we we had the positive moment, and some people <laughs> might view this as a negative turn, but it has to be asked at the same time: is that if that one's the strongest to you, which one do you think's the weakest? Not necessarily the worst but the 
out of the five, which do you think is considered the weakest then? Sure. I'm going to throw this out with most people I've spoken with about this. They don't like their cre- creeping up okay. on you, the like, cockroachy one at the end. Most people are like, it, I, I, it's just a single dude in a single location with a single thing, which is a whole lot of bugs. I actually am okay with that. I think it's interesting, and I think that it works yeah. to like mix up the tempo here. For me, if I were to rank one last, it would be their, um, okay. the crate. Part of it is it's got a little bit more plot yes. than everything else in there. Like in terms of like, oh, this is an expedition. We need this, and we need you know this guy's <laughs> wife is awful, and there's a new family there, and like also like part of it's just like okay, the like weird yeti thing or whatever it is. Um, the it's very clearly a rubber mask that could have been <laughs> bought somewhere, um, which feels. I mean, again, like it's it's not not keeping with it, but all the other segments didn't write in something <laughs> that would cost a lot of money, and for some reason for that one they did, and then they didn't spend a lot of money um but adrian barbeau who first of all like yes national treasure um i just her character's so <laughs> awful she's so awful and it just like and part of me is just it's not that she's playing a particularly terrible person it's more just like oh women am i right like it kind of yeah. has that feel about it and again like i respect the shorthand i honestly do but it's also like could we the woman could have been the professor like <laughs> you know it's just kind of like quiet yeah. now men are speaking and it's like she's kind of right about everything she's complaining about um yeah so that always just like rubs me a little bit the wrong way because i'm just like mm, i don't love this and she could be like 20 times more awesome you you heard else. what what dd was saying here everybody she hates hal Hallbrook and has no sympathy for him whatsoever <laughs> i'll say it i'll say it here right now put it on a t-shirt yeah, but but i think that's why lots of people um, as much as they love Adrian Barbeau, she does great in the part. I think that's why they have mm-hmm. sympathy um, for Henry more so is is just because it's it's Hal Hallberg and he's able to to pay play that 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 meekish and kind of weak character with, with a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, sympathy. Uh, that's mixed in with the the connivingness where there's like if other people would would play it they would do it kind of like a uh, like a, a Dabney Coleman type one where it would be a little bit more hammy <laughs> you know and then a little bit more uh, conniving whereas uh, the the way that Hall Holbrook plays it there's there's a little bit more to the meekness where. He it it's it's weirdly the moment that that he's like now is when I get a backbone, as opposed to like twirling his mustache <laughs> and everything and being like finally I can get rid of you. He's just like I could I could do this and I could be free. I mean, it, agreeing with your part, it doesn't make you know it any any better. But of course, we're looking at this from the twenty twenty two lens that we we look at lots of movies yeah. that way, saying, well, what if we did this a little bit different? And and she's very much playing the type of stark or stock archetype that they had back then you know where they had the the woman character you know who was loud and everything to to make you be like oh yeah that's a reason to get rid of her you know it's like um oh god why am i blanking on her name from throw mama from the train (laughs) yeah uh but but that that actress it, it, it was the same way that they were like oh if we have her be loud and shrill enough then you'll be like it's okay that they want to kill her yeah, yeah, and you're right, like, Hal Hallbrook, um, his character isn't as much of a caricature, like, he definitely has, mm-hmm. like, hints of it there, 
Um, but he's like, it's not like this is like the more serious one, but it's also just like you can kind of see yeah. where he's coming from. But it's also divorce <laughs> is a thing. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe there's a backstory to to him being a what's it called like super Catholic or something like that, and we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they could have brought that in. There was already yeah. enough as is because you are right that that I think the crate as memorable and fun as it is, it is the one that feels the longest. It might not actually be the longest, but it feels like it's the longest because of how everything's charting back and forth and the different locations that you have, whereas everything else only has like a couple locations. Yeah. And it has a lot of like establishing Mm -hmm. the status quo. Like they go to the party and everything. And that's like all the other ones, like, jump right i think that's the the sequence that everybody forgets about is that giant party which of course is used as setup for the reason why he wants to dispatch her but it's it's a whole section Mm -hmm. that you completely forget about just because so much of it you know takes place at the university exactly yeah and it's just like how useful was that like wow yeah, it's easy to sit, sit back what like forty years later and be like, I, <laughs> I and I I think for all the the films for all all the stories for the most part are about equal because the the films right at two hours so you know every every movie mm-hmm. or every mini movie if you want to call it that is giving its chance to to shine in the sun and I think some just by nature of their story feel like they move a little bit faster. Um, I know that, that like you said, there's lots of people who feel like they're creeping up on you is the least of it just because it's so small, I guess you would say it it has about the Mm -hmm. same amount of time, but it's so contained compared to everything else because you're just with E.G. Marshall. You don't really have, you know, anyone else in there, but at the same time for how small it is. I think like the use of, of the design and everything, it's, it's really effective. Yeah. And like, look at Jordy, like Jordy, oh, the, the, the lonesome death <laughs> of Jordy Barrel. Um, it's, you know, basically borderline a single actor for the most part in one single place, just kind of uh-huh. like they're creeping up on you. But then again, it's just like, it's intergalactic. <laughs> There's like all this stuff happening. And that has like, you know, decent enough, you know, they put a lot of green stuff all over everything in different increments. Like they're doing a lot there with, again, that never feel for that one, that, that section of it. I don't know if it's just like the gleefulness of getting <laughs> to see Stephen King act like this like weird yokel guy. Um, Cause it's kind of fun, but it's, um, I don't know for that one. It, it, that one never drags for me. And it's almost like he doesn't talk a lot even cause mm. it's just him by himself. Like, yeah. But then again, that's like, you know, that could be, I'm just thinking of like the actual production notes on it. Like it wasn't grand, but it doesn't feel. No. And I I think that's because there's so much that they do within the frame, Uh, especially with that one. The fact that they keep on going back and forth and you see the growth over time on everything. So even though you, you basically have just a couple of rooms of that place, you're slowly seeing, you know, the, the weeds, moss, whatever it is, slowly take over everything else. So it, it, every time you see it, it takes on kind of, a new life and then you have his grand uh dream sequences uh where he can't even win <laughs> it is in his dream sequences mm-hmm. but but you have those little little bits you know where you've got somewhere else and i think it's the the whole fact that 
every single section in this film, things are over the top, but things are more so Uh over the top in the lonesome death of uh, Jordy Verrill. And I think that's why it sticks out so much in people's mind is because everything is heightened. Uh, King isn't anybody that people have said, you know, would win awards for his acting ever. Um, but it works <laughs> here with with how heightened everything is. Then when he's imagining the doctor having it be, you know, all over the top that it just works and it keeps your attention because you don't know where it's going to go. And then it has the goofiest end to basically any of them. Yeah, yeah. It almost is like an earnest movie for like a short minute. Um, Because it is like everything has kind of a bit of a playful thing, but this is the definitely like the more comedy one. Like he looks at his dick and talks about how that's green too. Like that's a really funny, like honestly funny moment intentionally. Like this is a joke you should. I mean, we're talking about a you know a a scene where the the weed covered individual (laughs) does commit suicide. (laughs) Yep. But but it but it's still played as 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 a joke with the fact that you know they're like oh. Everything's going to spread. <laughs> Everything's going to get destroyed. So, so technically, Jordy's mm-hmm. uh, the the best one out there because he gets out uh, before everyone else. That's the... Oh, Jordy! Yeah. Now, the the next question that we have, I know we've talked a bit about different sections of it, but within the entirety of it, are there certain sequences or images? from your that are like just ingrained in your mind when it comes to creep show that that like if somebody's going to be like what makes creep show special that you're like oh this scene or this i mean like ted danson buried up to his shoulders (laughs) on the beach like that it's like that one for me like it just you saying like what is creep show and it's like i don't know i have my i have the blu-ray next to me and i'm looking at the cover i'm like eh, kind of but then i'm like no just like the idea of him just like on this desolate beach for like buried by leslie nielsen like what the hell but um that one always strikes me just because it's such like a simple thing but it's just mm-hmm. so terrifying like if you i mean yeah it's silly and there's a tv out there for like you know reasons um but just that idea is just i don't know you don't see that because it's just there's not a whole lot of plot there, but it's just the way that works. Oh out. no, it's it's, so it's striking. I mean, when the second that you mentioned Ted Danson, I'm I'm literally picturing him there with that TV cart that that Leslie Nielsen, you know, mm-hmm. drags out onto the beach, you know, to just be the most evil person in in the world. And like that's that's what sticks in my mind is is that, and then um, uh, open shirt chested Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> oh yeah that's i mean you see it and you're like yeah. okay Amazing. good good for you we always remember your your mr magoo and and spy hard stage but in this you're like okay i get it i get it lesson nielsen oh yeah no he was trans it was wasn't it forbidden planet or oh yeah when he was he was like, super young and, oh, yeah. and yeah, oh, yeah yeah but i mean it's it's how people like how he looks in this is how people remember him you know from from airplane and everything but like when we see him there, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can understand that you're, you're suave, but also, you know, homicidal. Mm-hmm. And um, the woman in that, his wife is um, Galen Ross, who is the woman in Dawn of the. There Night. you go. There's the connection, everybody. See, this is this is why we have you on here. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm done. Um, <laughs> um but i think in terms of images another image that really is like when it is the father's day when the mom's head mm-hmm. is the cake at the end 
and it's got the candle sticking out of her head and she's on a platter like that. I mean, so it's good. it's on the, the cover of the Blu-ray. It, they have yeah. T-shirts of it that it. I have a I have a doll in my. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's not like it doesn't light up or anything, but it's just <laughs> it's, it's like the like skull holding the thing. And on the back, it says, like, I, I got I'm where's my cake yeah. or something like yeah. that. It, I, it's one of those images that you can't shake out of your mind which i think is what's great about something like yeah. creep show is that you can ask that question to a whole bunch of different people and they're gonna you know say say different things i know for for lots of people it's going to be any of the the time that the movie goes to a freeze frame and turns into the yeah. comic book background whether it is you know the the head on the platter or uh you know having leslie nielsen you know with the 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 swirl behind his head is what always sticks in my mind. And, mm-hmm. and I think it might be daring to say it might have people get mad at me, but I think that there's a chance that that creep show may just be my favorite comic book movie. Whoa. And that's because when I was rewatching it, just remembering how integral everything is when it comes to the comic book, like not only does the film open with the comic, but that at the end of each section, you, you have them going into that. But then even within you know, the different stories, you have different parts that are making it feel like panels and transitions that it's working that comic mm-hmm. book feel into the movie. And you don't really have a lot of those that that do that, that I mean, the only other one that, you know, directly uh, comes to mind is, of course, into the Spider-Verse, which the whole one of the mm-hmm. things that people loved about that film was the fact that the the animation style and everything felt like it was a comic book that had come to life, you know, and the little pieces that they have that uh, are, are the bubbles and everything like they would be in a comic book that creep show was doing that, you know, 40 years before that, that film came out. So I, I, I don't feel bad saying that, but rewatching it, I'm like, yeah, there's plenty of other comic book movies that I, that I like, but I think this might be my favorite because it actually is a comic book movie. It's not just an adaptation. Like, it's a comic book that comes to life as a film. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was watching it and I wasn't thinking about like, is this my favorite comic book movie? I was like, where does this sit within my love for horror anthology? Films? Okay. Well, there's so, there's so many I love and there's so many I recommend. Yeah, but but that, that's a, the perfect segue into the next question, which is uh, it always is, is difficult to word. Um, so I, I'm I'm going to word it this way from now on. But what would you say are some of either the contemporary films or modern films that line up with this? Now, I think that's an easy question when it comes to something like Creepshow, since you have so many different anthology movies that have come out over the years. That sometimes if you say something like The Thing, it's difficult for somebody to glom on to a movie that's you know completely <laughs> like that. Whereas Creepshow has a bunch of films. I mean, Creepshow itself, of course, actually has, you know, a sequel in Creepshow. And then we'll just mumble for a second about Creepshow 3. Uh, That's like, they just made a movie and called it Creepshow 3? Like, no one was No involved, one was involved. Right? We, we... Not no one was involved. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From actual the original people. people who you know, who were setting everything up. No, they didn't. They didn't have it. And that's why I mumbled about it, because I... I knock it to the side you know uh much like warner brothers uh wanted to do uh when the gentleman wanted to make a tv show because of how the rights were 
Um, and then of course you, you have uh, tales from the dark side of the movie, which is, is basically mm-hmm. a creep show theory. But then you look at the last couple of years, you mentioned, you know, ABCs of death already. You mentioned VHS, you know, um, there's just so many anthology films that are coming out. I mean, in the last year, I think we've had two or three anthology horror films, oh, yeah. but so oh, yeah. l- let's get into the discussion that, of, of what you were talking about for some that you would think I pair well, or are to the level of this, or, or where does this one in general fall under rankings? Um, well, I think like, I mean, there were horror anthologies before this and there were horror anthologies after it. I think that this is one of the few, at least that I, my mind goes to, maybe it's just familiarity or it might actually be a thing that kind of ties in like, I don't know, like the consistency there, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. I don't know. I was thinking like, this is not good because it came before this, but like Trilogy of Terror, which yeah. I freaking love. Because um, Karen Black, first of all, <laughs> oh my God. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing. But that one feels consistent mm-hmm. to me. Um, so I guess this, I would kind of place these along the same lines. Um, I mean, l- l- like you were talking about, I, it, I nowadays, because... We, we literally have access to almost everything is that lots of those mm-hmm. movies that you're talking about that came out before that most people forget about. If it's something like, you know, vault of, of horror vault of terror, whatever, like that, the amicus ones and, oh, yeah, and yeah. the hammer ones is that more people have, you know, uh, gotten a hold of those, you know, the, the, the tales from the crypt that wasn't attached to the, the TV show, but that was the, the anthology that was made before is you've got those older ones too, that you got Kino and a whole bunch of different companies putting those out. So people are able to see the the older anthologies, but like you said, they don't feel as consistently tight across the board. No, no. And one of the things that like, that I really have been enjoying, and I don't necessarily, I think to think of this as like a modern thing, but maybe, it is. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm like, do I not know anything about horror anthologies? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. Like okay. Southbound, absolutely, absolutely incredible. But it's so cohesive. Yeah. Like it's like it doesn't really feel like an anthology film. Same with Trick or Treat. Like same with Mortuary Collection. Same mm-hmm. with Ghost Stories. Like those are all vaguely recent anthology films that do have a wraparound story, but it's like so integrated. It just kind of almost feels like you're being like told yeah. a single story which I appreciate, but then you go to like, I don't know, certain things like VHS, like they have that wraparound, but it's not the same as trying to integrate it all. Like it's very clearly they're watching all these different tapes that are totally different. But I think that I was going to say that I I think that ties back to what you were talking about earlier about the fact that those are all different filmmakers who have completely different Mm -hmm. styles. So you, the, the wraparounds are never, you know, the most popular part, but they have to have a form of, of wraparound to try to thread how all these things are connected because they're they're so completely and utterly different when it comes to vision and the talent that are involved yeah 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 like they're, i mean they don't have to though they could just be like here's a thing yeah. here's another thing like <laughs> i appreciate the fact that they do it because if not then it's you know why don't you just have them as short films entirely um but yeah yeah like um oh wow, there's a this dvd collection i have and i've seen it I've seen most of the shorts elsewhere, but it's called like Minutes okay. to Midnight. Um, 
and it's got some amazing shorts that I've seen. I'm sure you've seen some of them at Fantastic Fest as well. But like I bought a DVD and I watch it and they're in order. That makes sense to me. And it's just like, this is just a loose collection of really excellent short horror films. But it's like, what's stopping from saying that this is an anthology? Do you, do you think it's having some type of wraparound, even if it's the loosest of, of wraparounds? Maybe. I don't know if that's necessary. I like it when it works, but when it doesn't, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I meant, I meant so like, to, <laughs> to differentiate in what what makes it an anthology. Do you, if you don't right? have, I mean, like you said, if you just have a whole bunch of shorts play, but you don't really have anything that's connecting them, then it just feels like it's a it's a showcase, basically, right? But but if you ha- yeah. if you have yeah. something that's even in the loosest of ways, regardless of how good or bad it is, that's attempting to tie it together that that's what makes it an anthology yeah yeah i think that makes sense and even like going to like tales of halloween christmas horror stories like those just literally have like william shatner and adrian barbeau again just like being disc yeah. jockeys and like talking about what's happening that night like that's it so it could be just that simple but it, at least they're trying to tell the tale that these are all happening mm-hmm. on one night in one place or something along well those then lines. christmas horror story is just evil at the end i love it too but it's also like you're like oh that's not no you you tied it all all together in a way that i don't really want oh man give me a deadly sense <laughs> of any it's a it's the worst version of alan partridge the movie <laughs> very 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 few um, people yeah, got that yeah. but i'm okay with it i don't care i don't care <laughs> but i so do you feel like the era that we're in now is putting out anthology films just because they feel it's it's a quick way to get people together do you feel like the the cohesiveness doesn't work do you feel like it's 50 50 I mean, I feel like it's 50-50. Like, I think good things are always going to be good and bad things are always going to be in potential for Mm. improvement. Um, One thing I have appreciated is with, I mean, just particularly Shudder and other um, streaming services, they have been releasing shorts. So I'm wondering, I like that. I mean, I think more people should watch shorts and I think it's fascinating that they're making these widely available to people because I really only ever see shorts at fests. Um. So I think that's making it, I'm wondering, I'm very curious to see down the road if that actually changes the prevalence of anthology mm-hmm. films, because like they could go to like Takashi Mika and be like, hey, can you make a 20 minute film here? So like $5 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it wouldn't necessarily be a contribution to something bigger other than possibly them programming more and stuff like that. This is all just conjecture. But um, I don't know. I think... I'm trying to think of a time like in the past like 40 years when there haven't been horror anthologies that were both good and bad like it just feels like we get more nowadays because of streaming or 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 we notice it more because of streaming uh that you have so many sites that you'll you'll have a place like a Tubi that's just grabbing stuff to put on there so it could be a small anthology film that's not very good at all but it's something that somebody made and just flew under the radar because there's so many and that you have a place like shutter that has a team of people who literally are, are sifting through not every single one of them is going to be a winner, but you do have people who are just, you know, sitting, sitting down and that are curating and, and catering what they're showing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about like really recent ones. Like we had 
Nightmare Cinema and like Tales from the Hood mm-hmm. too. Like, I don't know. I'm like, and those were all like fairly high profile directors. But I don't even remember if either of them even got theatrical release. Um, what's it called? Uh, Tales from the Hood 2 was weird. I do believe that it played at like yes. one festival. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, like I saw it at Fantasia. Yeah. I interviewed the director. It was it was there, but yeah. it was a film like it was there. And then a week later, it was on Netflix. And oh, just kind yeah. of popped up. Whereas a Nightmare Cinema, I know that at least locally, and if they had it locally, then, you know, other Indian art house theaters would have would have shown it uh, for a short period of time, just because of the name recognition that you had. Um, and I know that when it came out on like digital and physical that there was a big push on it too so i think that it had like a a very small like one to two week run in some indian Mm -hmm. art house theaters uh but that that was very much a film if you know then you know type thing yeah yeah because it's not like they can be like this is the new joe dante it's like what kind of is and it's yeah no i'm just thinking of like films that have come out that are anthology films that have possibly existed because of the new distribution models i i Uh, I don't know if you were on a take no 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 no, i I don't know any of the answers i'm just postulating (laughs) no but but i think it's an interesting one because a lot of these will get festival play because that's Mm -hmm. the easy way for them to have them be in a theater because you know for the fact that the people who are there at genre festivals are going to give a chance to it or if they're at something bigger like south by southwest you know that you're going to have that midnight crowd that's going to go and try you know uh something like that um and that i think that's where its prevalence lies that you we we're not really at a point where you can have like an amc you know that that's Mm -hmm. going to have nightmare you know cinema on there that they just they they look at the numbers and they wonder what the marketability is of it, you know. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And, and they probably yeah, but well, but I think at the same time that if if they decided that they wanted to do you know anniversary showings of certain movies, like AMC randomly does right now, that depending upon what the film is, they could do that. I can I can see them doing you know a fortieth anniversary showing of Creep Show through like something mm-hmm. like fathom events or in two years from now doing a, a showing of uh three extremes because of course it oh yeah it had fruit chan park chan wook and and takasha mike doing it and one, one of you know several of those people are are still big and and when their movies when they have new movies come out you know they'll play both the festival circuit and the art house one so you can see them doing, you know, retrospectives for that. But unless it's somebody who's like the biggest name uh, in directing it. And I don't even mean like specifically in horror, but just like somebody who's who's crossed over and is big. Like, mm-hmm. I think that if you had if you were to have an anthology horror film, whether it's comedy or not, uh, you would have to get um, people like you'd have to get. Uh, a James Gunn, a James Wan, and oh god, why am I blanking on his name? Because he's wonderful. Uh, Invisible Man. Oh, god damn! Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's my fault. Yes, him. Yeah, uh, Lee Wanell. There we go. 
There you go. Thank but, you. But you you would have to get um, somebody like like those because they've all three of those directors are are people that people know, you know, and mm-hmm. so they're they're big yeah. enough that they've crossed over into the public consciousness because of movies that they've done, and that if they get together the three of them you know and and to make an anthology film then that's going to play in in theaters probably not for very long but it's one of those that they know or or if you get you know more uh younger upstarts like get the people who did uh the most recent you know scream get david gordon green and um nia da costa you know again because they've all had horror films that have been released by major studios that people know those films that, that I think you can do it. But if, if you're talking about more like the, the directors and stuff who are getting picked up for stuff on, on shutter, then yeah, if you do an anthology with them, that's made by, by those filmmakers that genre fans know it, it'll play on stuff like shutter and it might get a festival run and it might play at an art house theater, but it's not, it, it it's weird that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that cultural cachet to be like George Romero and Stephen King. Yeah. Oh God, they're like you know, coming down from the heavens for exactly. It, but I, um, I mean, I think that's but but that also you know says something about where we are that people like you and I are people who are in, invested in horror, you know, and we're seeing mm-hmm. big and and small stuff that's going to be at a festival that we know is either never going to be released or released in five years. But they're they're not necessarily, you know, looking to us to be like, who do you think should make an anthology and then put it into a large theater? They have to, since it's all about the the numbers and everything. And as much as as everybody you know talks about where is mainstream horror and stuff like that, it's it's still at a point that it's only you know if you're getting that big studio release, then that's how people might know your name, and then they still might not know your name exactly yeah like ty west's ex like <laughs> well, i'm like he he made a vhs yeah so. well I, I that's more so a24 you know exactly like i think people that aren't our nerdy twitter world will think be like even if they are like movie fans they'll like they probably know a24 before they know ty yeah. west I don't, I don't know if that's fair, but like, I think that that just because it's a broader thing and it feels like more of a brand than him because he has kind of been dormant for a little while. Well, and I also think that it's within the last couple of years, the way that A24 is positioned themselves. Mm-hmm. A, A24 is the good version of, oh God, what's there? Oh God, now I'm going to, God damn it. I can't remember their 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 acronym. <laughs> it's X, STX. That's who it is. Okay. A2- also, they're put. Oh, no, sorry. no, I was saying that that A24 is the good version of STX. STX is the one that puts out like, you know, several Mark Wahlberg movies a year, a couple oh, no. oh, Melissa no. McCarthy ones where they're the studio that will put out 10 movies in a year because they need at least one or two of them to make a profit so that they can then do the exact same thing in the next year. <laughs> but the problem is, is that numbers exactly they, they're they're not worried about what the actual quality is and one of those films will hit occasionally you'll have something you know like a hustlers or or something that comes out and then like i said that gets them their money so they can go and do it and a24 is a better version of that because they're they're saying we're going to give money to different artists 
and we're going to market it so that we're able to, we're not going to have a four quadrant film, but we'll release four movies that hit one of each of those quadrants. <laughs> I know. I'm like, they're putting out Marcel the shell with shoes on. Because they know that it's going to, it got, it's, gonna, it's got the festival buzz. It's gonna be yeah. Okay. And it's going to have the people yeah, go to it, yeah. but you've got the people who are going to go to X and those people might not go to Marcel the shell with two shoes on, you know? And so that way they're able to cover these bases and keep on, you know, making movies. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. I'm going to see. I'm in the middle. Of that, but I, like <laughs> I, I So I, I think that they're a studio that if they were to choose people who've had success with them to make an anthology film, you know, that that you'd be able to do it. I would love to see. What yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love to see the A24 anthology or what they would think an A24 anthology would be. Would you? So um, getting back to the creep show of it all. To, yeah. What, what, but I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because you're looking at, at the zeitgeist at the time that it's a movie that's making three times its budget. And mm-hmm. you don't really have that when it comes to anthologies nowadays. Do, do you think that that creep show is just kind of this weird... I don't know, other in a way? Is it is it specifically because of George Romero and Stephen King being involved that it kind of elevated everything that was in it? Because, I mean, any of these other ones we were talking about, there is stuff to like in it, but it, it doesn't feel like, as you said, that same cohesiveness. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think audiences were probably looking for the next George Romero because he wasn't super prolific. Mm-hmm. Um and this would have come after Knight Riders, and I don't know. I love Knight Riders, but I don't know if all of his fans would have been super happy with that at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think... Wait, what was the question? <laughs> no, I, it was it was talking about that this movie's 40 years old, and it, yes. it has the power still nowadays, that, that you can show somebody who hasn't seen Creepshow, the, the film nowadays, and it would probably catch them and they probably enjoy mm-hmm. it and they pay attention to it and everything. And, and it just because of how kinetic everything moves, even at two hours, but you have anthologies nowadays that people are a lot more tepid on. And so that's what I wonder is mm-hmm. that, is it just some weird other thing? Is it specifically because of George Romero and Stephen King that, that raises it to the level or is it just, just a, a weird kind of diamond in the rough that stands out from everything else and was kind of lightning in a bottle. I think it might have been like lightning in a bottle, but I think it was a very smart and contrived lightning in mm-hmm. a bottle. Um, I also think like, I don't know if any, if horror fans love anything, it's a nostalgia and a throwback. <laughs> and so this fact that this is like, nowadays this is a throwback for us. Cause again, holy shit, 40 years. But even then at the time it was a throwback to, you know, EC comics, which wrapped up in the fifties. So even if they didn't get that touchstone, it still felt like it was something that had an affection for d- days mm-hmm. past or, you know, a very specific aesthetic and feel. So I think it works in that regard. And again, like it really, I really do think most of the sections are aware of the limitations and the strengths of anthology and short short storytelling. And it just seems to be really playing on its, with its own framework and having fun with it and being aware of its limitations in that regard. Like it doesn't try and tell anything more than it can. Like it doesn't really drag at any point, even though like each of these sections are about a half hour long, like that's not super zippy, Um, but it does keep things moving there. 
so yeah yeah i think it's so like it's a good movie like it's fun and it's even though some of the effects aren't necessarily great <laughs> it's it's not said it's not like freaking avatar you know what yeah. i mean like it kind of makes sense for its world that maybe that like weird yeti thing is rubber it's fine well i mean even if you compare it to two anthologies that stick out in my mind that we haven't uh mentioned yet when even though we mentioned the sequel to one of them is uh of course the original um a tales from the hood mm. which is it's it's another one that people bring up with with how concise it is but i still feel like there's sections that are a little bit weird in that one and then if you're talking about involving you know another master of horror and having something like body bags mm. I I, th- I think your response right there <laughs> summed up your your feelings on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love Tales from the Hood, though. Yeah, but I mean, I it, 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 that's one that that works that, that feels like a different you know for a different decades uh, lighting yes. in the bottle because just I, and but even that one, like I said, has has sections that are a little bit slower and drag a little bit more on a whole. I, I think it works really well, but you, you still feel a slight drag in there. Whereas this one, as long as the sections are, doesn't really feel like that. Even because I'm one that's going to, you know, uh, defend the E2 Marshall uh, sequence just because <laughs> the, the the production design, I think, is really strong. And it, it has a, a unique vision compared to everything else. And then has just absolutely terrifying effects when you get to the end of it. You got 20,000 oh cockroaches. God. That's a lot of cockroaches. Exactly. It, like a lot. And you see them all like, on screen. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like we haven't really talked about this at all in regard to like horror in a shorter form, but this like, I mean, of course it comes from comic history, mm-hmm. um, but like horror short writing, like literary is incredibly strong and i don't see that drying up anytime soon and so just the fact that like going through this it almost feels like you're reading like a collection of short Mm -hmm. stories because like everything kind of fits into its own little niche and there's a good variety there but like if i was reading that that would be awful (laughs) like it would probably be worse in my head than actually seeing it um as as in as in as in Awful isn't terrifying, okay, but okay. a delight to read. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like any of uh, uh, Stephen King's short story collections. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, again, like he's someone who definitely. I mean, he thrives. I mean, that guy is a, loves a long wind. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he does. If he's going to write something short, he knows to not have it overstay its well. Yeah, and I mean that—that's the thing that I think everybody forgets when they see that it's written by um, Stephen King. Is that it? Is it two or three of the sections that are are original for him? I know that um, Jody Verrill is based off of Weeds, and then I believe that uh, the Crate is a is a short story, and then I think everything else okay. is yeah. The other three are so two of them are based off of King's own short stories, and then the rest are uh, original works for the film, but since he's already working within the framework of two of them being based off his short stories, it feels like if he's already in that mindset that, that it works. And I, I think that that might be, you know, a strength that, that, that helps tie this oh, together yeah. so much is that you have that King has that background compared to most mm-hmm. of the other um, anthologies that we've been talking about have not, 
not every single one, but the large majority of them have people who are writing each section on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trilogy of Terror is mostly Matheson, yeah. but still not all. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just like one of those, like, it's interesting to kind of break it apart as like what makes this work mm. because there are so few things that make it not work <laughs> like because it does work yeah. um, so it's just like what's the weak point it's like well i guess it, like if you suss if you ask me the weak point we can find it but it's still for the map for the most part it's more just like no 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 i feel very strongly that they knew what they were doing and they did it well yeah i think that's the difference is that when we've been talking about most of the other ones we have to to have a caveat automatically when we're talking about it whereas mm-hmm. this one doesn't really have that it's just remembering you know the, the the fond memories and the sequences that you like and then you find yourself going oh I, I really want to watch creep show that i think that's mm-hmm. part of the power to it now of course because you are a romero person you, you did mention uh night riders before this but wh- where do you think this falls on his his filmography i think this might be bold um after his original zombie trilogy this might be my next favorite film of his oh wow yeah definitely not amusement park. <laughs> we're not talking about amusement park right now no no and the three dead films he did after the original three like not great but i still watch them frequently um yeah i don't know season of the witch is wonderful of course mm-hmm. i've never actually seen the juices on the loose <laughs> 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 and like i do love martin and i do love i love night riders it's so weird but i love it um it's just like a half a day you need to commit to it yeah. um but yeah yeah i think in terms of like i don't know his films are so comforting to me and they're just like they feel like a place where i know exactly what to expect and how i'll be taken care mm-hmm. of and this is really far up there for me in terms of films that i rewatch over and over again and i mean i don't think that there's anything wrong with that i well no 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 because i mean i i know that you when you're when you're you know talking about it it feels like you're being slightly defensive but i'm i don't think oh, so i think you. one of the things about romero is that there's something for for everybody in his you know in his filmography um of course the unfortunate thing is there's so much of his work that there's different versions of and there's versions that we haven't mm. you know seen the complete version of, I mean, we're, we're still sitting here waiting to see if we're, when we're going to get to see um, the, the full version of Martin. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, everybody made a big deal about the amusement part, regardless how you feel about it. Edie, we're not, we're not. Oh no. I was so excited. It finally came yeah. out. I'd been like hearing about it literally for like a decade since I've been really studying Romero. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's but it was just... <laughs> all the cuts of, you know, Don and everything that there, there's so many different, versions of lots of his work that there's something for people to find but creep show feels like one of those that that hits a, a a sweet spot that if you're somebody who doesn't know much about george romero that i i think it's still accessible for you oh absolutely yeah i think it would be a good like a little appetizer yeah um yeah because as much as i do love and believe that you should start you know watching the original living dead trilogy with night of living dead like it's not super accessible like yeah I mean, it is. You just watch this guy, you know, hang out in a barn or hang out in a farmhouse, <laughs> and it's not that complicated. But like, the sound isn't great. There's certain things going on that seem a little rep- repetitive. Yeah. Like the end. I mean, it's dark as shit. Um, 
not visibly but thematically um but yeah yeah i could see someone being like especially like people like so many people who are non-horror people get like scared really easily (laughs) and like maybe that's why like the cockroaches aren't as funny and people don't like that Mm -hmm. as much but like this is this is fun to watch yeah i mean it's it's a lot easier to success suggest for somebody hey you should you should check out creep show if you've never seen it before as opposed to saying hey if you've never seen martin you should watch martin (laughs) i don't there's there's not anybody who's not a genre head uh, or anybody who's not a romero fan it's hard to be like hey you should check out this um really dark and and pretty depressing movie it's really good but at the same time so yeah i'm just impressed that you in this theoretical world you and i are hanging out with non-horror people <laughs> there there are people out there you gotta there, i do i'm i'm friends with plenty of people who aren't horror people in my defense i'm, I'm married to one of them so oh she's a wonderful woman though yeah, yeah. um we'll keep her um <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm thinking now about like my defensiveness with Creep Show coming right after the Dead trilogy, and I think it's just, I don't know, I'm just so used to like gearing up for a fight with horror people. Mm. Like I love them, and I will fight back with them because those are, you know, not to turn any group into a monolith. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's always like a thing about it. There's always like everyone is defensive because we almost are used to going into interactions with non-horror people where we feel the need to be like, no, this is why this is valid. Yeah. Um, even amongst each other. So yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think this film hitting the 40th anniversary when it, when it does, is kind of the perfect time to do so with everything King related that we've had for the last couple of years that you definitely have that, that is easy to suggest it to people who maybe have, have only, you know, been watching mainstream horror and are, are, are still maybe a little unsure of stuff that's a little bit older and that this is easily accessible for them because you have that King one, you know, for the people who've seen, you know, pet cemetery for people who've seen, you know, the, the new versions of, of it for the people who've watched any of the, the Stephen King adaptations that have been on Netflix for any of the people who were, um, you know, went to go see Dr. Dr. Sleep, but maybe haven't you know watched any of the older (laughs) stuff that that i think this is a good entry point for them because even though it is the two hours it moves by fast that the sections you know it's constantly changing and everything so Mm -hmm. i think it's kind of a perfect time for it to be hitting the anniversary you know now while we're in the middle of you know this re-renaissance currently that will then go again through in another 10 years oh man yeah all right. So, of course, the final question that we have is having rewatched the film again recently, do you still feel like your your reverence towards this film is warranted or do you feel like the shine is 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 slowly dimming on it? It's amazing. This <laughs> film. No shine is I'm I'm polishing it up as we speak. No, it's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. And I think almost every time I rewatch it, I don't want to say I notice something new, but I appreciate it in a different way. Or I just, maybe I'm just like settling into my groove and being like, oh yeah, it's Father's Day. I love this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I sometimes, it, you know, of course we'll grow bored with something. I've never queued this up and been like, oh, I'll turn it off halfway and go do something else. <laughs> like that's just never happened to me. I mean, so yeah, you can't, you can't really argue with that. I, I think it's, it's an overused phrase, but I think it's something that we find with a lot of these classics. Uh, that that hit these different you know milestones and everything is that they feel like a warm blanket that there's something 
about the movie that that you can curl up with it and you can watch it at at any time. I know there's people who will save certain horror movies and stuff for certain times of the year and stuff, but Creepshow definitely yeah. feels like one of those films that you can throw on any time of the year. Yeah, I do like that mere minutes ago we were talking about 20,000 cockroaches and now we're just like, oh no, it's just so cozy. Um, but it is. It yeah. is. I think I think it's just comforting in such a way because it's a world that exists and it makes me happy that it existed that this like pristine playful little silly thing which is like the equivalent of like the all-star league of filmmakers <laughs> and writers just it's there and it will continue to exist and we can visit it whenever we want now i, I think the playfulness is is the main key there because if you had this be dark the whole way through, I think it would be completely different. You'd still have people who are, you know, big fans of it and everything for mm-hmm. the people who want that. But I think that that playfulness is in having the macabre and having things that are are dark, but continually just twinged with a with a bit of levity in there. That that's what what helps make it, you know. Because if you, you can easily think about take out some of the humor in something like Father's Day, and just how unrelentingly terrifying and disturbing that would be you think about something to tide you over if you take out you know the the comic feel and you know some of the little flourishes that leslie nielsen brings to it just how dark that section is you know Mm -hmm. if you if you strip uh if you take away the campiness of king as geordie that that that's just completely bleak and and nihilistic for that character but because you you've got that twinge of comedy that's undercutting a lot of it then i think that's why we can say it's a warm blanket yeah exactly and like some like i love dark horror as you know Mm -hmm. but like if i'm gonna gear up to watch Titan, like i'm gonna have to like (laughs) drink myself to sleep or like and again dance sequence um i'm gonna have to like drink myself to sleep or just like cancel the rest of the day just to like sit there and wallow which i love but it's like that's this is not something i need to prepare myself for okay Didi, you know what you just need to shoot some steroids into your hip and try to do a pull-up and then you're just gonna pass out right away friday night (laughs) for for some (laughs) for some firefighters in foreign countries that's how it goes yeah well, that 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 slides into the question that we we <laughs> always like to to wrap everything up with before you plug your social media and stuff like that is that we've been talking about this film. We've been talking about a whole bunch of other films. But is there anything right now that's streaming? Because we know that people have access to streaming everywhere and movies and theaters might not be everywhere right now. But what what's something streaming or a movie that you rewatched recently that that you think is worth everyone's time? Oh man, let me pull up my list. Go for it. We're gonna do it. Uh, oh, I'm like, what did I watch recently? Creep show. Okay. Um, <laughs> that I think is worth everyone's time. Give me a hot second. No problem. I I will. I'll go with mine. Go go please. Um, yes. Just because I already talked up Canopy once, so I want to talk up Canopy twice. Just because it was one of the the weirdest things that I saw that could be on there is that Brian Trenchard Smith's Stunt Rock is on Canopy, of all places. If you don't know what Stunt Rock is, go to YouTube and put in Stunt Rock Trailer. It is one of the most insane and weirdest things you will find. Uh, Brian Trenchard Smith is the guy who did uh, Dennett Drive-In, uh, The Man from Hong Kong, 
uh, and several other films, but he was really big into doing stunts and everything. And he was somebody who did documentaries on stunts, people who, you know, worked on, uh, I believe Mad Max and, and several other movies as a, as a stunt man to go along with directing. And he made a movie called stunt rock. That is part documentary, loose documentary about a guy who is a stunt man doing a whole bunch of stunts just for like television movies and, and stuff like that. And a reporter who is following him doing a story on him. It doesn't really make sense. Um, but part of like, it's either somebody who's related to him or somebody who's related to the, um, to the reporter is in a, a band like a spinal tap type band, but they were a <laughs> real band. And so half the movie is also uh, Brian Trenchard or yeah, Brian Trenchard Smith and this reporter going to see uh, this rock group put on a concert and they are an insane band. And the reason why I mentioned Spinal Tap is because, of course, every member's the the Stonehenge sequence or the sequence with the, the Venus flytrap shell type things opening up. But this band does stuff like that. For real, like in the middle of their shows, they have Merlin, yes, Merlin the wizard on one side of their stage who is performing tricks and stuff and gets in a battle with Satan on the other side of the stage as part of their concert. And that is Stunt Rock. That sounds really awesome. It has one of the, the best, most insane trailers, one of the best, most insane posters uh, that you've you've ever ever seen but yeah brian trenchard smith did it with uh, the person who's the lead in it is uh grant page and he's the the stunt man and he's a stunt man who literally worked on basically everything that you can think of he's the guy who did stunts on like i said the mad max films but even like recently working or, or did a couple years ago you know uh gods of egypt and the mechanic oh. resurrection because he's still working you know, today, but, but this is a guy who did stunts on like every single thing. And Brian Tenchard Smith was just going around and filming him, you know, doing stuff with the, I believe the rock bands called sorcery, something like that. But yeah, it's a completely insane movie that has one of the best uh, taglines of all time, which is uh, a death wish at 120 decibels <laughs> and canopy. Canopy, the free site that you have access to if you have a library card, has it streaming. Good God, man. How do I follow that up? With, with I, have, I have some yeah, I have something to follow up. Okay. Um <laughs> uh so true to my form of really liking contemporary films and liking weird art shit. Um, you won't be alone. You okay. It's a it's available for rent on Amazon. Yes, let me check. Yes, it is. It's one of the pricier ones, but it's probably worth it. Okay. Well, it would be for me. Um, I don't know if it'll, yeah, but it's just like I don't know. It is this like these witches in like 19th century Macedonia, and but it's not like it really does a good job. I keep being like, this is what is it? It isn't, but this is what it is. Um, it really does a good job of reestablishing its own like mythology about how like witches function in society and you know what their powers are and how they're made and things like that. And I love that, and it's really true to that. But it also, essentially, these witches can kind of turn into other people or turn yeah. into other animals or whatever. Okay. 
And the way they do it is like really gross and visceral. So of course I adored that. That's a, also- the one that's got oh, what's her name? Uh, Numi Rapace. Numi Rapace, yeah. Yeah. She's in it. She's one of the people that they jump into her body for a, a portion of the film. And so you get to see her like experience life through her. And it's kind of like beautiful and reflective and it shows like how absolutely difficult life back then would have been just to exist like let alone like deal with like children and annoying people um but yeah no it's really really interesting and i really really appreciate it's not i mean there are definitely parts that are scary and there's a good amount of death in it yeah um but i don't know it's just one of those things where it's like you know you watch a movie and you're like wow that was about trauma man and it's just like (laughs) this is just like it's about like learning to be a human Okay. But it's also but it's also like real gross. So okay. but but it's but it's one you mentioned the uh the trauma, but it's a movie that where the trauma is actually a backbone to something and not just, hey, we're having trauma for trauma's sake. Yeah, and it, it's not even like I was th- think I was throwing out trauma just to be silly, but this one like really is just like about learning mm-hmm. and just learning like how to exist in their world, not our world, but okay. like and ha- and how to deal with like evil and to grapple with you know the you know pretty tantalizing version of evil that's out there yeah yeah but no it's just the way it like actually has the mechanics of the witchery like it's not like it doesn't over explain anything which i love because the first time it happens you're like what the fuck is happening <laughs> um but no it's just it's a really beautiful reflective intentionally paced which i mean which <laughs> is what i tell people when i it's pretty slow but it means that i like it i like the pace that it's at but yeah no i really i i keep saying like really um it's fascinating and also the fact that the director just entirely invented this mythology because i watched oh. it and instantly all my friends and i were like because i saw this at the boston underground film festival a couple months ago okay. we we're all like oh let's learn more about macedonian folklore and it's like no he just made it up but it's so cohesive and it feels like something that would have been real i'm like that brilliant jerk <laughs> us all. that's that's awesome i'm in that that makes me excited and makes me want to to watch it immediately just coming off a film festival where there are one to two films that just rubbed me the the wrong way because they didn't have people put that much thought into it i i I won't mention the the title of uh the movie that or either one that that rubbed (laughs) me the wrong way but the reason i was asking about trauma is there was a movie that was made by because he was there so i know that it it was a middle-aged white guy Mm -hmm. um but it's a movie where there's a female lead and it feels like part of the movie uh things are happening to her because of trauma that she's dealt with in the past that's making her like susceptible to you know supernatural stuff and then at the movie it's like nope none of that mattered none of it was trauma based even though we we had what randomly looked like the glimpse of of somebody being raped none of that it matters and and ties into it it's like well why why would you start the film by mentioning that that somebody's got mental problems and is dealing with past trauma and then have that not be what the film is actually about (laughs) it was like it was like Chekhov's trauma well but i mean not even that because it didn't it didn't play a part yeah yeah in anything like it, it had no connective tissue with it That's and tough. and even when the the director was asked afterwards you know why they chose for it to be a woman that was suffering this trauma um he said he didn't know 
and that uh, in the future he should probably have a better answer for that. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. So 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 you you mentioning that that the mythology and the thought process behind why things are happening and why people are going through certain things then it's it's good to know and that's why maybe be like oh i want to see that movie because mm-hmm. there there's still times where where that's not a thought process that that people go into putting into a film you know yeah yeah i love world building i love mythology building like anything that makes me think like oh this exists as a whole yeah and it's not a slice except for anthology films. They should just be a slice. Um, <laughs> well, but even, know, I, even within that slice, I think that you can still, you, you know, do, do world building and have things exist for a reason and mm-hmm. not just be throw away elements because you think it might be fun. Yeah, no, let's not, let's stop making women victims. Cause you think it's fun. Unless it has a, a, a point and there's people who are looking at it from a point of view that like they've exactly. gone through. exactly exactly this is horror films people we can punish them later it's fine yeah yeah all right Didi. where can people find you on the internet sure um they can find me aforementioned uh rumorg magazine in print as well as online also at thatshelf.com uh and i post just about everything i write to my twitter feed and you can follow me there and i'll probably i don't know complain about republicans and put pictures of my cats up too um and that is Didi krim that's d-e-d-e-c-r-i-m very simple very simple you can find me at yo adrian Torres. very easy too the show itself is at horrorversary again su- super simple uh dd i want to thank you so much for coming back and being on this episode and talking george romero again thank you adrian i'm sure we'll do it again sometime soon when's the night writers here running up like oh god when is did we did we miss that i feel like we, we might missed have missed that. it let me look it up We'll go into to the time machine for, for that one then. We'll find <laughs> if if at the very that. least it's going to come up in another four years. <laughs> we only do the 10. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it looks like we did narrowly miss it, but if we're still doing by, this. By, last, by, by a year. <laughs> if we're doing this in nine years still, I'll be back on. <laughs> okay. I, I, think, I think we can find another Romero or another film in general that won't take that long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got you. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. Be nice to each other.